One last thing before I pray for us. Um, If you are here tonight and uh, you know that you're not a Christian, we're so glad you're here. That took a lot of courage um, to, to just come. And to kind of be in an environment that may feel weird or a little bit foreign to you. Um, We're glad you're here. And we want you to know that you absolutely can come. And I know that feels like the most generic Christian thing ever to say. Like every church says, all are welcome. We want to say that and we want to kind of embody that. And we want for you to be a part of our small groups because we actually kind of tailor them in the fall to where you don't have to have lots of knowledge of the Bible or any at all. We are much more focused on kind of community groups in the fall and getting you connected to other people and making some friends um, because we think that's super important. So um, please feel free to come uh, and be around. Um, You're welcome part of our group. And all the rest of you, you're decent. I'm just kidding. Um, Let me pray for us, and then we're going to look at this passage together. Father, we do thank you that you are a good God and you welcome us here um, in And you've given us uh, the scriptures, you've given us the Bible um, to know you and to know ourselves and to know uh, how those interact and how it is that we need you as we just sang. And so um, for those here in the room who are coming off a a camp high and they they feel super close to you, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would meet them and continue to to grow them. For those in here who are uh, tired, Um, either of kind of doing the religious thing and they are beat down by their own failure and and lack of ability to do the religious thing, I pray that you would encourage them. And for those in here who need to be challenged, um, who need to be confronted with the reality of their life and they're uh, walking away from you in the rebellion, I pray that you would meet them there, but in that kind and tender tender way that you tend to do that. Um, And draw us to yourself. That's what we all need. And we pray you would do it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read this passage for us before we look at it. I think I went too far. There we go. All right, I'm kind of jumping right into the middle of a longer uh, narrative, but I think it'll make enough sense. It says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is God's word. How many of you uh, saw Wonder Woman this summer? Let's go a show of hands. More than half. Bless your soul. Um, Wonder Woman was, I loved it. I loved it. I'm, I'm not like a super comic book junkie. That's an understatement. I am in no way a comic book junkie. Um, so I may say something is just like heretical in the comic book scene in just a moment. But um, I thought it was a great movie. 
Um, a friend of mine who reviews films kind of semi-professionally, um, I read her review of Wonder Woman after I went and saw it, and I thought it was spot on. It really spoke to why I loved it, and she said this, The greatest thing about Wonder Woman is not just that it's, a good, that it's good for a movie with a female lead, it's that it's a good movie. It defies tropes of the genre. It tells a compelling origin story about a hero that everyone should aspire to. And it leaves a departing viewer with some things to consider. Are people inherently good or bad? What would we sacrifice our lives for? How can we protect the people around us? Where is the line between fighting for protection and fighting for bloodlust? And that's kind of how Wonder Woman ends. It ends with these pregnant questions that are just kind of inviting us in to think about, man, what do I do with that? What do I think about that final scene in all of its glory? And that's really the nature of questions, isn't it? The questions, good questions, they draw us in. They captivate us. They get our minds and our our imaginations going to think, you know, what would I do in that situation? If that were me uh, over there, how would I respond? How would I act? And and as we pursue questions and as we ask them and, and hopefully get answers, we base our lives off of what we know to be true or at least what we believe to be true. And so questions drive toward knowledge and knowledge drives toward the very stuff of our lives. And in this passage tonight... Um, Philip and Nathaniel, they're in this interaction, this encounter with Jesus. Jesus was brand new on the scene. He was about 30 years old. The first 30 years of his life were kind of um, in obscurity. We don't have a lot of details around them. A son of a carpenter probably himself did some carpentry because that's how it went back then. Um, But Jesus is just now kind of busting on the scene, doing miracles, saying things, calling disciples. And this is what's happening. He's calling his first disciples or followers And just like you have questions of all the new people you're meeting here at TU, these people have questions of Jesus. And who is this guy? Nazareth? Really? Like, there's all this stuff they're trying to figure out. And here's what I want us to see in these these questions. First is that our questions um, are welcome. Sorry, our questions are complex. Secondly, our questions are welcome. And thirdly, our questions actually reveal things. So those are the three things we're going to look at as we look down through this. Let's go to the first one. Our questions are complex. And you can follow along in your handout um, or on the screen. It doesn't matter. So Jesus uh, has kind of come onto the scene, and he very quickly gets a follower in Philip. Now, we don't know a lot, even if we're going to read the preceding section. We don't know a lot about like how that worked. It just said Jesus looked at Philip and said, follow me, and Philip was all in. And so there was something compelling about Jesus. And Philip um, was a man, just a normal person. He jumps in and he starts following Jesus. And right after that, Philip becomes an evangelist for Jesus. Like he becomes uh, the fanboy of Jesus and he starts telling people. And so he goes presumably to his friend Nathaniel and says, hey, come on. I found the one of whom Moses and the law and the prophets spoke. What he's saying, that's kind of a Jewish uh, thing to say. Here's what he's saying. I found our Savior. The one that our people have been waiting for forever, I just found him. Or rather, he found me. Come on, check it out. And here's Nathaniel's response. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So Philip's all excited. 
And Nathaniel's a little skeptical. He's thinking, Nazareth? Really? Our Savior from Nazareth? Skepticism is, uh, is actually not that unfamiliar to people when they encounter Jesus. Because he was a... Let's be, let's be very clear about this. He was a revolutionary of sorts. He was not a normal person. I mean, he was. He was a man. But he did and said things that weren't normal. And so skepticism, we're going to see, and if you just were to read John's gospel, you'd see it throughout. Skepticism is something that exists around Jesus. And so here's Nathaniel, and he's skeptical. Um, when I was in college, uh, I went to the University of Oklahoma. It's a small community college down the street. And um, when I was there, basically the dorkiest thing you could do was to move back into the dorms after your freshman year. Um, and dorks are fine. We love them. Um, but that's just like you didn't do that. You paid your year of, of debt to the university and gave them your money, and then you moved off campus as quick as you could. So, dorkiest thing is to move in your sophomore year. Imagine as a senior to move back in, okay? Well, I had a, my campus minister at OU when I was there. Um, he challenged me. I got to the end of my junior year, and this is not like a sappy story. I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me. But I kind of had a friend crisis where I realized I didn't have any good friends. And he said, hey, there's this great group of guys who are seniors just like you living over there in the Jones house. And that was one of the dorms there. And my inner Nathaniel came out. I'm like, the Jones house? Like, I'm a senior. I can't move back into the dorm. He's like, well, you just told me you need friends. So, like, you tell me. Do you want to be lonely or do you want to think maybe uh, you're a dork a little bit? And so I became a dork. And I moved into Jones' house. And it changed my life. Because over there, there were... People that, that cared about me and that I ended up getting close to and that I ended up caring about deeply. Several of them ended up in my wedding. But Nathaniel is the same. Like, Nazareth, really? And here's why that matters is that early church historians and Jewish, philosoph- uh, J- Jewish historians from the first century, like, Nazareth is not mentioned in any accounts. I mean, it's there in microscopic form in some texts, but it's like a non-city. One scholar says that Nazareth was nowheresville. Like this guy is from the suburb of that tiny town 60 miles west of Tulsa that you've never heard of. Nazareth is next to that town. And so when, when Philip's saying our Savior is from Nazareth, Nathaniel's super skeptical. Let me just pause and draw something out for us. Um, that, that sort of skepticism is okay and at some level is even welcome. Because in that skepticism of Nathaniel, it causes him to question. It causes him to go deeper and to ask the follow-up questions. Man, I need, to, I need to look into this to see what's up with this Jesus guy. So I encourage that. But here's the problem for us in this room. Is that we live in a day, not just of skepticism, but we live in a day of cynicism. And cynicism, in my own kind of definition, is skepticism... That's lazy. Cynicism, a cynic, is someone who has questions, but they're just kind of like sitting off to the side, like, yeah, I got all these questions, but they don't do anything about them. They just sit over there with their questions and they kind of make scowls and, you know, they, they see the silver, the silver lining through everything. They're always seeing through stuff and thinking people are not genuine. 
Cynicism is wrecking us because it, it makes us apathetic. And so if you find that in you at all, if you find that you have questions, I want to challenge you. I, I probably don't even know you, but let me challenge you for the first time. Pursue them. Pursue the questions. Ask them. Find a friend that you think knows something more than you do or, or find me. I may not know anything more than you or anybody else in this room that you may know or get to know. And actually chase down those questions. It's super popular in college to, to say, oh, I'm just questioning everything. But really what you're saying is, I want to take a four-year break from all of my morals and values. And I just want to do whatever the heck I want to do. And I want to treat my body with however I want to treat it. And I want to treat others how I want to treat them. I just want to live a little bit for me. And then maybe after college, I'll grow up and I'll return and ask the questions. I get it. College provides all of those opportunities. But would you have enough intellectual honesty to say, I've got questions. I should pursue them. And not just take this moral side road um, and detour along the way. So... That's kind of the second thing about this complex question. It's because you do get a sense that Nathaniel's a little bit skeptical, but maybe there's part of him that's thinking, but Nazareth? Like, really? You're saying that the Savior of the world is from Nazareth? That's interesting because, you know, I would have thought that the Savior of the world would come from somewhere a little more bougie, somewhere a little more, like, comfortable, a little more known. Like, Nazareth probably doesn't even have food trucks or snobby coffee shops. It just, it probably didn't. And Nathaniel's thinking, gosh, if I were God, I probably would have come from somewhere bigger and better. Um, I don't always kind of, uh, well, let me say this. Um, when I was in kind of growing up and even early adulthood, Tom Cruise was kind of like you're Ryan Gosling, he was it. I mean, he was in all the awesome movies and was jacked and had great abs and all the stuff that um, some of y'all have. And um, so Tom Cruise was the idyllic man. He was awesome. And what was really disappointing for me was when I saw Tom Cruise, I didn't see him in person, but saw, I don't know, probably on Entertainment Tonight or, or some other TV show or internet, and I realized that he's this tall. He's 5'7", which is fine. It really is fine. But when you see him portrayed in movies like he is, you just assume he's like this 6'3", like huge, awesome, like the size, 6'3", yeah. Uh, I speak for a living, it's fine. Um, you think he's like this giant guy, and he's kind of a shrimp. And I was just a little bit disappointed. And um, I think that's what Nathaniel's got going. And it's actually, it's what a lot of people, why they have trouble with Jesus. Um, I don't, I was starting to say this a minute ago, I don't often like take other religions and just like prop them up so that I can beat them down and show how Christianity is right. That's not what I'm doing here. But I do want to point out like this is one of the things that um, Islam has trouble with when it comes to Jesus. Because Christians would claim that Jesus is God. And Muslims would say, no, 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 no. God is holy. You can't have God be a man because that's, that's too beneath him. It's too below him. Christians would say, yes, God is holy and God came low. God is lowly. 
And the reason that Christianity uh, says this, and the Bible holds that Jesus, in fact, is God in the form of man, is that this is where we are. And God says, you will never be able to earn your way back up to my level. You can't get on my level. I'm going to have to come down to yours. And so in the person of Jesus, God puts on flesh. He comes low. One scholar says it like this, um, God is always less. God behaves more lowly than humans think God could or should act. And God comes low because that's what we need. And unless you can kind of swallow that pill, then you probably will stay on the outside of Christianity. And I don't mean swallow the pill that God comes low. I mean, we have to swallow the pill that this is where we are. That we're actually down here somewhere. Our sin, our separation from God, our rebellion against Him in 10,000 different ways has us unable to do anything for ourselves that makes God pleased with us or that like impresses Him in any way. Think about like you hold up your resume of all the best things about your life and we, we in so many ways are like, God, did you see me do that? Did you see how I went to church camp this summer or how I went on a mission trip or did you see the way I did this or I didn't do that or how I didn't drink as much as this person or how, like whatever it is, we're holding it before God and saying, do you see it? And God's saying, yeah, I see it, but it's just not enough. And so Jesus comes on our level to save us because that's where we are. Because we need him. We need him, and that's why I did it. Um, about three years ago, I had a friend who uh, was a student here at TU. And she had grown up in the church, but realized somewhere along the way that, that she wasn't actually a Christian, and she was kind of doing the moral thing. And, and she was a moral person, and a lot of people liked her and had a lot going for her. Um, but she started to ask a thousand different questions about Jesus and about her own life and about sin and why Jesus had to die and all of this. And she came down to the end and said, she said, okay, I I think I understand it all, but I don't like it. I don't like the gospel because it's telling me that I have to admit that I need Jesus and that I can't save myself. I can't be good enough. She said, I hate it because that means I have to swallow my pride and tell him I need him. And about two weeks later, she wanted to get back together and she Uh, As we were together, she read me a poem that she wrote, in essence, to God. And she said this, I can't deny it anymore. I cannot save myself. I need you. The only thing that you need to be right with God, to begin that process, the only thing you need is need. But if you think you have something, you will never get him. If you think you have something that impresses him, you don't get God. Because it it bypasses what Jesus did for you. He will rescue you from whatever you've done. You cannot out-sin his grace and his love. But you have to see that you need him. And that's why I came. So this this question is complex, but I want us to also see that it's welcome. Um, It's welcome. Um, So Nathaniel, no sooner really can he finish saying, you know, like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth, Does Philip turn to him and and says, come and see. Come and see. Uh, Nathaniel's questions aren't made fun of. 
Philip doesn't say, that's so stupid, Nathaniel, just trust me. He just invites him in and says, come and see. Um, let me ask you this question. And this is a little bit more for um, those of you in here who would call yourself a Christian. If you're not, this is a freebie. Listen in to stuff we think about. Um, what if evangelism, that big scary word that maybe you thought about or thought you should be doing more. What if evangelism wasn't so much about Christians like going up to non-Christians or, or whoever else around them and saying, look, here's what Jesus did. And here's why you need him. And, and, and if you believe that, then you'll go to heaven. What if evangelism isn't so much about just coming at someone with this, this proposition and putting it before them and kind of force-feeding it to them, as it is opening your eyes to see who's around you and might be asking questions at any level, and going to that person and saying, come and see. Come and let's go explore that. And it may not be that they ask you some huge philosophical question. It may be their questioning and their little point of interest may just be that you say, "Hey, I'm I'm leading a small group this semester. Um, do you want to come? Do you want to come?" And they say, "Yeah." Boom. Right. And that's not saying you make them a project, but it's your version of saying what Philip said to Nathaniel. Come and see. Let's go look in an honest investigation of what Jesus uh, is saying. And let's do that together. But notice that he doesn't, Philip doesn't look at Nathaniel and say, yeah, um, if you could go over there and check that out, that'd be great. He invites him with him. Come, come along with me. Let's see this thing together. Let's go look at the Bible. Let's go to church together. Let's go to RUF. Let's go to a small group. Let's go to another ministry. Like, Let's do it together. And one more thing that's pretty obvious um, in this is uh, Philip doesn't leave Nathaniel. There's no indication that Philip left him on his own. He sticks with him. So that means we stick with people. We stay with them through the questions. We befriend them. We, um, we let them ask questions. We let them do things that maybe we might cringe about if you're a Christian, um, like we stick with them. Um, there was a, a Chinese student here a few years ago that I got to know, and, uh, and I didn't meet with this. This is not like uh, Brent Hero's success story evangelism at all. Um, I, I met with this guy a couple times over the course of his time in college, um, but didn't get that close to him. And literally last week, I was sitting at Dry Gulch as a mentor for orientation. I probably should have been hanging out with you freshmen. Sorry. Um, I was preparing this. And um, I'm sitting there on my bed, and this guy texts me. He graduated a while back. And he, we're back and forth, and um, I hadn't heard from him in a while. And, and I thought we were just, like, saying hi. And I kind of was saying my goodbyes because I had to do the really important thing, prepare for tonight. And he said, hey, can I ask you a question about Christianity? And um, I thought, wow, that, I didn't prompt that. Like, I didn't go looking for that. I wasn't trying to manipulate him. God was at work in his life to bring out the question. And so we need to be okay with each other's questions. We need to be okay with them. We need to walk with each other in that. Um, but lastly, notice that, that Philip says, come and see. He is expectant that something's going to be revealed from Nathaniel's questions. 
So there it is. Nathanael comes, and I'm just going to read verse 47 um, through 51. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. So um, Jesus is describing Nathanael not just kind of externally. He's calling out his nationality. He's looking somewhat into the interior of Nathanael's life and saying he's an honest person. Verse 48, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Which is a great question. Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see much greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. We all know what it's like when you are talking with someone in they start referencing something about your life like, man, that looked really fun when you went to California and uh, did that. Like, it looked like you had such a great time. And in your mind, you're like, yeah, it was really great. And you're kind of slow playing it because what you're really saying is, how do you know this? <laughs> how do you know this thing about my life that I don't think we've talked about? And then somewhere in the conversation, they'll say, yeah, I saw the pictures of that, you know, you at Redwood National Forest. And it goes off and you're like, oh, yeah, Instagram, boom, whatever. Like, you saw a snap, there it was. That's not what happened here. Because what happened here super freaked Nathaniel out and there wasn't a recovery. Like, there was no social media to kind of catch him on the back end. He looks at, Jesus says, I know all this stuff about you. And Nathaniel went from being a skeptic to saying, you're the son of God, the king of Israel. It was 180 degrees. Jesus looked right down to the interior of Nathaniel's life, told him who he was, and Nathaniel said, you are the savior. I believe. And Jesus is a bit thrown off, and he says, wait, because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, that made you believe? (laughs) Nathaniel, you haven't seen anything yet. Heaven is going to be opened. And you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is Jesus saying? What he's saying is, Nathaniel, you know your Bible. You know in Genesis 28, when there's the vision that Jacob has of heaven, and that the ladder to heaven and all the people going up and down on that ladder. Jesus is looking at Nathaniel, this good Jewish man. He's saying, Nathaniel, I'm telling you, I'm the ladder. Heaven is opened through me. And if you want to get there, if you want to see others get there, they're going to come on me. They're going to ride my back all the way to heaven. That's why I came. Ascending and descending to God into heaven on me. Now, notice that Jesus doesn't. He doesn't point to some set of teachings and saying, yeah, heaven's open, and if you'll do these five things over here, then you'll go to heaven. If you'll go to church or go to RUF or go to Stumo or go to BCM and read your Bible and have quiet times and go on mission trips occasionally and maybe do evangelism and ask people questions, like, then you'll go to heaven. It's not what he says. He's saying, you're going to see heaven open, Nathaniel, and I'm going to show you greater things than you ever thought possible. Now, Jesus is either a crazy man and a a raving lunatic and a a, uh, conceited person who's trying to get all this attention. He's a power trip guy. He's either that and he's saying crazy things or he's the savior and he's telling Nathaniel the most loving thing he could ever tell him. 
Um, let me, I'll close with this story. This summer, uh, my family and I went to uh, this family camp that we go to every summer. That's what you do when you have kids. You do things like family camp. And um, that's my life. And uh, no mountains and ski trips for me. We are going to family camp. And uh, one day at family camp, I was sitting around the pool. Don't, don't cry for me. It's actually a super nice camp. And so we're sitting around the pool, like eating snow cones and what, just hanging out. And all of a sudden, my back was to the pool, but the people that I was talking to right here, you just see their faces like start to turn white and you start to see their mouths open. And they're doing this thing and they're like starting to freak out. And so I start freaking out and I turn around and one of the other adults, it was kind of like an adult time at the pool and the kids were all in their activities. One of the other adults had come down this big slide water feature thing and he thought it'd be fun to land on a raft. Sounds fun enough. What happened though is that as he landed on that raft, it kind of threw him off to the side and he hit his head on the edge of the, like the 90 degree angle where the, the edge of the pool which happened to be really sharp flagstone. I hope you don't throw up. There was a 10-inch gash from his forehead to the back of his neck. 10 inches deep. Sorry, 10 inches long. <laughs> All the way down. Yeah, no. <laughs> Let's just close in prayer. Because um, he lived. No, um, 10 inches long from here to here. All the way down to the skull. <laughs> so I turned around and saw him. And for some reason, I walked over there and looked. <laughs> left. <laughs> and there's one guy who jumped up and he ran over there and he got around him and he just starts calling out orders. Give me a towel. Give me those towels over there. Bring a chair over here. You do this. Go get this. You go call this person. You do this. Get an ice pack. Get this tourniquet. Like he just goes into the mode and he is telling people what to do. Question. Is he arrogant? No. Why? Because he's an ER doctor. He's the one who could help this person more than anyone else there. Camp nurse is green in the corner. Like she is like, oh, here's a band-aid, like flinging stuff at him. <laughs> this guy took control. And him taking control was the most loving thing he could do. Because this person's life was literally in his hands. And he said, I'm what you need. Do what I tell you. Everyone else, do what I tell you. Jesus is coming to Nathaniel and saying, Nathaniel, I appreciate that you thought it was cool that I saw you under the fig tree. You're going to see way cooler stuff than that. I'm the way to heaven. Heaven is opened in me. I'm what you need. Throw yourself on me.